I want to start this morning by sharing a conversation I recently had with a childhood friend. Um, He's not a believer. In fact, he would identify most closely with Buddhism. Uh, But he had lived in Hawaii part of his time in high school and was deeply impacted by the tragedy that took place in Maui. Uh, And as I left the conversation, I, I thought about how easy it was to talk about the strength and and the strength of sin and the depravity of humanity, the strength of sin not only in what we do, but what we see in creation, natural disasters, uh, these tragedies that seem unexplainable, uh, how discouraging and difficult life can be under sin and as a result of sin, that sin is strong, that sin reigns, that sin has permeated all of humanity. And as I left the conversation... I thought about how easy it was for me to agree with him on the strength of sin, but how hard it was and how far I was from proving to him the strength of grace. That yes, sin is great, but grace is greater. Yes, sin is strong, but grace is stronger. But how is this possible? How can there be hope when sin and death reign so strongly? Well, Paul helps us see how grace is greater this morning. Paul is addressing this issue in this passage today in our text. And if you could open your Bibles to Romans 5, 12 through 21. We're continuing our series through Romans. So last week we heard from Pastor Josh in Romans 5, 1 through 11. And now we're approaching Romans 5, 12 through 21. And in this passage, Paul is contrasting Adam in Christ. And I want you to notice how Paul talks about Adam and his sin, but then Christ and his grace as we read through this passage now and as we're going to go through this passage this morning. I want you to listen for the moments when Paul's making these comparisons. They happen so frequently throughout this text. Moments that say, just as, so also. Or for if, then how much more? Or as one, so one. Or but where all the more. Paul is constantly contrasting Adam and Christ. Death and life, sin and grace. And last week, we learned that our hope of future salvation is certain. But how do we know that that's true? Well, Paul is telling us now. Paul is giving us the reason that that's true. He's giving us a basis, the grounds for the claim that he just made last week in Romans 5, 1 through 11. So as we dive into this text, if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Romans 5, 12 through 21. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But 
the free gift, following many trespasses, brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that, as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Hopefully you can see how Paul's making this contrast here that we see in verses 12 through 14 that Paul's establishing the impact of Adam's sin. That in Adam, there is, in Adam and his sin and his transgression, there is sin and death and they reign. But then as we look at verses 15 through 19, we are going to see Paul contrast Adam with Christ. That in Adam there's death, but in Christ there's life. And then in verses 20 through 21, Paul's bringing it home. And he's telling us what this should mean for us. That seeing grace as greater than sin and death gives greater confidence. And so looking at verses 12 through 14 first, my first point is that it's very simple. In Adam, death reigns. And we're in a dire predicament. We're in a dire predicament. My conversation with my friend recently reminded me of this. Pictures of the fire, videos of the damage done to the land, to people's homes, to properties, to history, uh, the reports of the growing numbers of lives lost and the overwhelming sense of tragedy in the situation. Sin and death reign as a dark cloud over us. It's everywhere. We're all infected with this grim reality. We're all affected by this dreadful situation. It's in our our thoughts, our emotions, our actions. All of us are stained and colored with sin. It's infected our political and social structures, causing injustice and oppression. I mean, this is real. We're in big trouble. And this is where Paul starts this passage in verse 12, immediately here. And he says in verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. So right there in the first half of verse 12, Paul sets the stage right away. He's saying that Adam's fall introduced death into this world through sin. And and in introducing sin, there's death. So sin has entered the world through Adam. So now, in the second half of verse 12, Paul is going to parallel what comes next, which says, And so, death spread to all men, because all sinned. So the second half of verse 12 emphasizes the universal extent of this connection of sin and death, and that death has been passed to all people. So what is Paul doing here? You have Adam's sin, you have all of us sinning. How does death enter and reign. Is it because of Adam or is it because of us? And first I want to acknowledge that many people reject the idea 
that we could share in Adam's sin. Uh, And our culture of individualism certainly does not help this common rejection. We just have a tendency to think of, of me, myself, and I today. This me, me, and me. And we think to ourselves, how in the world can something that happened so long ago still affect us today? It's 2023. How is that possible? And so first, I want to look at one incorrect way of interpreting this. And I want to say, yes, it's 2023. Uh, This conversation has been going on for a really long time. Uh, One of the oldest heresies in the history of the church is called Pelagianism. Now, this is a view that says Adam, he set a bad example for us. He was a bad example. We actually all start out the same exact way as Adam. We start out morally neutral. We're neither good or bad. And the conclusion is that humans are not sinful and they're not guilty. Now, this is a wrong way of interpreting this. This is a wrong interpretation of what Paul is doing here. And this is just not accurate with any other interpretations of Scripture. Now, I want to look at our statement of faith, because I think our statement of faith is actually really helpful here, that we're sinners by nature. They point out three things. We're sinners by nature, we're sinners by choice, and that we have Christ as a representative. So we're sinners by nature, we're sinners by choice, and Christ is our representative. Now, many parents insist that they did not have to teach their kids how to sin that it was not a part of their child-rearing plan that they were going to put the lesson in, okay, here's what sin is. That uh, that was not how their parenting plan went. And I don't have any of my own kids, but I think the evidence is quite overwhelming. I don't think, I, I don't disbelieve it. I'm fully convinced, and it seems pretty obvious to all of us, that we're sinners by nature. And in a familial sense, Adam and his relationship to future generations as a father, makes us his children. And in that sense, it makes it so that as part of his nature, we participated in his sin because of it. And so while it seems clear that we're sinners by nature, it also seems pretty clear, and it seems like nobody really refutes that we're sinners by choice as well, that we are sinners because we sin. We individually choose to sin, and then we're sinners by choice. But What I think is actually more confusing a lot of the times is how Adam is our representative. Uh, In a legal sense, Adam represents us as our covenantal head. Adam was the prince. He was the uh, covenantal representative head of the whole human race. But in the same way, as our EFCA statement of faith points out, we have Christ as our representative. So how in the world can you say that we are all sinners uh, because of Adam? Well, how in the world could you say that we're made righteous through Christ, through faith and grace? Well, they're both our representatives. And we don't like thinking about this representative thing in this way. Uh, We like to think of it in other ways. Uh, For example, now that I'm here, I'm probably going to be one of the biggest reps for the New York Jets NFL football team that the state of Kansas has ever seen. And I'm, I'm telling you now, I've had next to nothing to brag about the Jets in my life. And uh, you Chiefs fan, take it, you take it for granted. But I could say this year we got Aaron Rodgers. And I even go as far to say we won the whole Super Bowl in 1969 with Joe Namath. 
Those of you laughing know I was not alive in 1969. I can't attest to it. But that's how I speak about the Jets. That It's this representative language. And we don't like to think about this representative language when it comes to Adam. That how we were Adam. That Adam is our rep. But we need to make this connection. Uh, We all sinned when Adam sinned. Adam represents humanity. If you look at the Hebrew... The word Adam is literally translated as, as it means humanity. In biblical times, this would have been common sense. But today, it's not so much. Um, all humans are in Adam so that when we sinned, all humans sinned. And so what, what's the result of this? It's that sin is universal. There's no exceptions. And as a result, spiritual death is universal as well. So not just physical death. Adam's sin did not just introduce physical death into the world, but spiritual death. There's a lasting, eternal significance in Adam's sin. And so now Paul is going to demonstrate how we've always been in Adam and tell us more about this result of spiritual death as we look at verse, the next two verses, in verses 13 through 14. So if you take a look at verse 13, which says, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. So early in Romans 3, we actually talked about how the law reveals sin. And so what Paul is saying here is that sin didn't start with the Mosaic Law. It didn't end with the Mosaic Law either, but it didn't start with the Mosaic Law. So all these people between Adam and Moses who didn't have the law, they still died because they were in Adam. And so... And not just that physical death. This is a body-soul death. And then Paul goes on to say in verse 14, which says, Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. Paul is telling us how universal the reign of death is. Uh, It's all people's. From all times. It existed before the Mosaic Law. It exists after the Mosaic Law. Adam's sin has had a universal and disastrous result. So whether you're under the law or not, all humanity is under death and and reigns under that because death reigns. So now that we've established the word Adam here in verses 12 through 14, we can move on to really what's more important, what Paul is trying to contrast here, what Paul is trying to say is greater here. So yes, in Adam, death reigns. But in Christ, life reigns. And we're going to go on to see that. And that's my second point, is that it's also simple. In Christ, life reigns. So Paul is contrasting Adam and Christ here. And in verse 14, it ends saying, Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. That Adam was a type. So yes, Adam and Christ are similar in the sense that what they did affected a lot of people. It affected all of humanity. But Adam was a type, is dissimilar, dissimilar in all the rest of the ways. And Paul is going to go on to show all these ways that they're dissimilar in verses 15 through 19. So as we look at verse 15, we see Paul shows us the extent to which we are in Adam. We said in Adam, many died. And we've talked about it. It's not just physical death, spiritual death, the death with eternal significance. But in contrast, in verse 15, 
Paul shows us the extent to which that we're in Christ, that in Christ, grace abounds to many. Paul's going to continue to do this. In verse 16, Paul shows us the consequence of being in Adam, that in Adam, judgment leads to condemnation. We are judged for our sins. We're condemned. And then Paul goes on in verse 16 to show us the consequence of being in Christ, that in Christ, in contrast, grace leads to acquittal. That Christ's work is superior to Adam's transgression. Christ's work is superior to Adam's sin. And this is so important, um, so important here. And we really need to zoom in on verse 17 as well, which says that in Adam death reigned. But then, in contrast, in Christ, those receiving grace and righteousness can reign in life. Verse 17 says, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life. Much more. Um, Josh helped illustrate this two weeks ago. Uh, He had talking about how if we had a financial debt that we couldn't pay, we couldn't pay it on our own, that Christ doesn't just pay our debt so our account balance is zero, but in fact, we are actually given a credit as well because Christ's death more than compensates for the effects of Adam's sin. It more than cancels it out. And we see here that the credit that we're given is not so that we can just experience life in verse 17, but we're given a credit so that we can reign in life. And then we get to verse 18, which says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. I think what's so interesting about this is that we didn't, we didn't even deserve this in the first place. We, we were in Adam. We were reigning under sin and death. There was no human remedy. There was nothing we could have done for ourselves. Nothing we could have done internally. We needed something external. And so it's by Christ's righteousness that we have life. That in Christ, life reigns. And so then we get to verse 19, where Paul continues. He says, For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. And so this is part of the, the credit that we receive. And, it, and it's said here that we're made righteous. And this is used really in a legal sense, saying that Adam, who, who disobeyed, and because of that, we entered into a state of sinfulness. Our status was sinfulness. And then, on the contrast, because of Christ's obedience, we're actually entered into a state of righteousness. We get a status. Our status is righteousness. And so this is justification. This is exactly what we've been learning about up to this point. The the idea here is that we're declared righteous. And so just to review, although death reigns uh, in Adam, life reigns in Christ. And Christ's grace is greater than Adam's sin. And because grace is greater, grace reigns. And so this is my third and final point here, uh, that because grace is greater, grace reigns. So the first thing we see here in these next two verses is that sin increased. We read verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. Often when we think of the law, we think of it in terms of restraining. That we think of the law and we think, oh, those are, those are boundaries that are meant to limit us. Those are guidelines to help control our sin and to 
control us. And I want to say that that's true. That is one function of the law. In fact, I would say that's usually our default function when we think of the law. However, there is another function of the law that's going on here. And Paul's already talked about this in Romans 3, saying that the law reveals sin. Paul is developing this even more. He's saying the law reveals sin, and so sin increases. In the law, there are these very specific, very detailed commandments. They're very clear. They're very specific. They identify exactly where we are in our sin in respect to the law. And what's the result of this? It's a greater judgment on those sins. It's an increase in sin. And this is another function of the law. However, in this increase in sin, the law also moves us closer to grace. That as we, the further we descend, the nearer we are to brokenness. And the nearer we are to brokenness, the nearer we are to Christ. And so, verse 20, and the rest of verse 20, is just amazing. It just continues. It says, But where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. Isn't that amazing? No matter how many sins have increased, no matter how much your sins have worsened, that God's grace has more than compensated. Do you still think that you've, you've, you're too far from God? That the sins you've committed, you've committed too many sins? Or the sins that you've committed, they're just too great. They're too great for God. Well, Paul is saying here, how much more? God's grace super abounds to you. Jerry Bridges captures this really well. He says, as I quote, Our worst days are never so bad that we are beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. God's grace is more than compensated. And yet, we still need it. Now, Paul describes this in verse 21. He tells us that this reign of death has been replaced with the reign of life. And what he says is, in verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus our Lord. This is what Paul wants his audience to walk away with. This is what he wants his hearer to hear. That although Christ is like Adam, in the sense that what he did affects a lot of people, all people, but unlike Adam, who brought death, Christ brings life. And therefore, all who belong to Christ can be confident that they are under the reign of grace, which leads to eternal life. And so, how do you know, the question I want to pose is, how do you know that you are under the reign of grace? How do you know that you are under the reign of grace? Well, first, you must belong to Christ. And I'm speaking to those of you who may not have put yourselves in Christ or may not have fully put yourselves in Christ. Uh, If someone asks you the question, who are you? How are you going to respond? Someone asks you, they go up to you and they say, who are you? You, You'll likely respond with your job or maybe your role. You say, I'm a husband. I'm a a mother. Or maybe you'll uh, talk about your nationality or your race or your education or your culture. But the most fundamental answer of all is that you're a human being. Or as as Paul would put it, you're in Adam's humanity. And so, when we belong to Christ, 
when we are transferred through the gift of his grace, through faith into Christ's humanity, Christ changes us at a level deeper than our job or our role or our nationality or our culture or our race. We are changed at the deepest level possible as a human being. We are changed from one humanity to another. And so the question I ask is, has that happened to you? Are you in Christ? Do you belong to Christ? Is Christ your representative? And now, for those of you in Christ, how do you know that you are under the reign of grace? Well, one way you know is that you have greater confidence that seeing grace as greater than sin and death gives you greater confidence. Not confidence in ourselves. It's not because of anything that we've done. It's not because of how good we are or how good that we think we are. We are not stronger than sin. Grace is stronger than sin. It is the objective historical work of Jesus on the cross that breaks the terrible powers of sin and death. It gives us greater confidence in our reign in life. And yes, it absolutely gives us assurance for, for the hope of eternal salvation. Verse 21 is really clear about that, that this is a clear indication of future hope, gives us more assurance and confidence in the future, but it also gives us confidence that Christ reigns in life now and that we can have greater confidence now. And that's what I wanted to go, and I wanted to do that for my friend. And I want to do that for you here today. That the grace that comes in Christ has the power to break the terrible powers of sin and death. That, yes, the human race is a terrible, awful predicament. And and we're in big trouble under sin and death. But the grace that we have in Christ takes all kinds of people. All kinds of people who are in Adam and transfers them to a new humanity in Christ. A humanity set free from slavery to sin and death. And that seeing grace as greater than sin and death gives us greater confidence. That seeing grace as greater than sin and death gives us greater confidence. Please join me in prayer. Gracious God, you alone can conquer evil. We praise you that your grace is greater than our sin. We praise you that Christ's work is superior to Adam's sin. You teach, comfort, and challenge us by your word, Lord. And this morning, I pray that we respond to your word with confidence and assurance in the hope we have for eternal life. The hope that we only have in your Son, in whom we are able to pray to through him. I pray for those who haven't fully placed their faith and trust in you, those who haven't been transformed in your grace. I pray that they realize their need and respond to your word and spirit this morning. And Lord, when the sin and death of this world overwhelms us, I pray that your spirit will point us to Christ and empower us, that we may be reminded that you promised the coming of Christ's kingdom. And it's for Christ's glory and for his sake that we pray. Amen.